I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. This is a great congregation this morning. This is the largest congregation we've had, I think, since pre-COVID. And um, I think it's because word is getting out that uh, the, the vaccine is getting around, that, the, uh, that unless, except when we're up front here, everybody's in mask and, and social distancing and uh, between services, our folks are busy sanitizing all kinds of places. So more and more people are feeling safe being here in person, and we're grateful. And at the same time, we're grateful for those who continue to worship with us online. Fifty days after Jesus was crucified and risen, St. Peter preached a tremendous sermon to a large congregation in Jerusalem. And it must have been a great sermon because 3,000 people were converted that day. And those 3,000 plus the 120 who were in the church before, 3,120, were formed into a church, the Church of Jerusalem, the infant church. And in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42, we find out what that church was like. And so, if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand as I read God's holy word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Most of us know what a five-star hotel is. You know, it's a ritzy place. It's a top-rated hotel uh, featuring flawless service and state-of-the-art facilities. And according to my internet browser, there are 218 five-star hotels in the world today. Where is the number one top-rated hotel in the whole world? Well, I would have guessed Paris or London or Las Vegas. No. Top-rated hotel is in Indonesia, believe it or not. I have never stayed, stayed in a five-star hotel, and there's a reason. 
the average price is $884 per night. Yes. Chapter two of the book of Acts tells us about a five-star church located in Jerusalem. Now, unlike the five-star hotel, it did not have the best facilities. In fact, it had no facilities at all. Nor did the five-star church cater to rich people. Most of its people, members were poor. Few were highly educated. And almost all of them were new Christians. Now, you know, over the past few weeks, we've been having as a theme that you saw in the video, getting outside the box. That means uh, thinking creatively, living the faith in new, different ways. Well, let me tell you, that Jerusalem church did it on steroids. Never before had there been a group of people like they were. And for 2,000 years now, every church has modeled itself on this mother church, the church in Jerusalem. And that church had five impressive strengths, each one represented by one of those five stars. And I want us this morning to look at each one of them and ask, how is Mount Horeb doing in that category? And even more importantly, am I helping or hindering Mount Horeb in becoming a five-star church? The Jerusalem church earned its first star by being a praying church. And in the very first sentence in Acts 2 describing this church, we find that the members devoted themselves to prayer. Now, most of the early Christians were Jews and Jews who lived in and around Jerusalem had three times each day they were supposed to come to the great temple complex to pray. 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and at sunset. Three times. And in Acts chapter 3, we find Peter and John going to the temple to pray at 3 p.m. In addition, the Christians met each day for the apostles' teaching, the teaching session. And then in the evening, they shared potluck supper in their various homes. So, you can be sure that they prayed on all of those occasions. These were praying folks. I don't pretend to know how prayer works. It's way above my pay grade, way above it. But this I know, this I know. God invented prayer as a special way for us to communicate with him and to share his ministry when we pray, we wield God's power. Indeed, there are some things that God wants to do and can do more easily and quickly if we pray. And therefore, prayer should always be a first resort, not a last resort. And since Jesus need, needed to pray so often, we find him often before dawn going out to pray. Surely we, even more than he, need to pray regularly. The surveys show, this is good news, 86% of Americans believe that God either certainly or probably answers prayer. That's good, 86%. But here's the bad news. Only a tiny percent 
percentage of Americans have a specific time dedicated each day for communicating with God in prayer. Isn't that strange and sad? Our senior minister, Jeff Kersey, frequently credits prayer as the primary means by which God has worked wonders in Mount Horeb over the last 25 years. I heard a story about a pastor who noticed there was an older man coming each day around noon to the sanctuary for a little while to pray. And so one day the pastor in, introduced himself and met the man. His name was Jim. He worked at a nearby factory and he came over on his lunch hour just to spend a few moments at the altar in prayer. And because the sanctuary was usually empty, uh, this man, Jim, began, got in the habit of just praying out loud at the altar. So one day the pastor stood behind the door just outside the sanctuary to listen to his prayer. And this is what he heard. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I've been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. I don't know much on how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this is just old Jim checking in. Amen. Well, that prayer touched the pastor's heart. And after Jim had left, the pastor went down to that altar and knelt. He thought about the blessings that had been showered on his life. And those thoughts brought tears of gratitude to his eyes. And he prayed a prayer very similar to Jim's. I just came by to tell you, Lord, how happy I've been since we found each other's friendship and you took away my sin. I don't know much on how to pray, but I think about you every day. So Jesus, this is just a sinner saved by grace, checking in. Amen. Now, let me ask you a question about your prayer life. Now, I'm going to be asking questions in each of the five categories. And I want you to be honest with me. I want you to be as honest as, as a little five-year-old boy was with me. He was in one of my former congregations. I called his home one morning at 11 a.m. I wanted to ask his mother to perform some kind of service for the church. And uh, he answered the phone. I said, son, uh, let me speak to your mom. He said, uh, 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 sir, uh, she's asleep. I said, uh, well, I hope she's not sick. He said, no, sir, she's not sick. She's just lazy. <laughs> now, I never told the mother about what her son had said. I wanted to protect the little fellow from repercussions. Now, I don't know whether he was telling me the truth or not, but I do believe he was trying his best to be honest. So I want you to be honest too. Do you have at least one specific time each day when God is expecting you to check in with him in prayer? Now, I know you, in addition, offer uh, what I call red light prayers, prayers with eyes wide open throughout the day, and that's wonderful. But is there a specific time, your primary time, when the Lord is expecting you to check in?
The Jerusalem church got its second star because it was a learning church, a learning church. And we are told that the members devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles teaching those Christians? Well, we know what they were teaching. It was based on everything that Jesus taught and that included the Old Testament. How do we know that? Because in Luke chapter 24, we are told that on Easter afternoon, the first Easter, right after Jesus had, had risen, he accompanied some travelers as they walked to a village of Emmaus. And we are told in Luke 24 what Jesus said to them. And I read, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, the Old Testament. And in addition, the apostles taught all that they had learned and experienced during their three years with Jesus. And much of that material is what we now have in our New Testament. So that's what the apostles were teaching, the Bible. And in any great church, that's the primary thing that ought to be taught. Now, when and where did all this teaching by the apostles take place? We know that they met every day in a corner of the great temple complex in Jerusalem. They met at a place called Solomon's Colonnade, which was a porch, large porch, inside the temple walls. It had a cedar roof and was supported by a whole lot of columns. Now, we don't know exactly what time each day the Christians met to be taught by the apostles, but you, I can give you a good guess. Either early morning or late in the afternoon because most of the church were working people. They had to be at work throughout most of the day. So the apostles taught them either early or late. Here are some questions related to the second star. Are you a learning, growing Christian? Are you a part of a Sunday school class or a Bible study group? Do you spend some time each day reading Holy Scripture? Do you keep before you some book designed to help you grow in the faith? If you want a suggestion, I'll give you one. It's a classic by the great British theologian C.S. Lewis entitled Mere Christianity. In fact, you can order it on Amazon. And here at Mount Horeb, we have a library of materials, books, DVDs, and all you have to do is call the church and arrange a time to come by and check it out. If we hope to be a five-star church, we must be a learning, growing church. How are you doing in this area? The church, the Jerusalem church got its third star because it was a sharing church. Verse 45 tells us, it describes this sharing. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now those Christians were drawn together because of what they had in common. The Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism. They were also drawn together because they were very different from non-believers. And those Christians shared, in effect, potluck supper in their various homes. No doubt three or four families would come to a home in their general area. 
The Greek word for the fellowship they enjoyed is koinonia, koinonia. And it doesn't refer to some kind of superficial fellowship, like a group of people who do nothing more than hang around together and, and sing kumbaya. No, no, no. It has to do with sharing like a family, like a band of brothers or sisters. Some of you who have a liking for history may have read a, a classic by Stephen Ambrose entitled Band of Brothers. Tells true story about an army unit during World War II Easy Company of the 101st Airborne Division. It describes the intense closeness, comradeship, love within that unit. That was what the Jerusalem church experienced. And that kind of relationship should be in every church. Now, it's hard for us to understand that level of closeness because we are part of a capitalistic, individualistic society, culture. Yes, we are. I mean, in America, the word is earn all you can and keep all you can. And we love our privacy. Yes, we do. I mean, it's not unusual for an American not to know the name of the family who lives even two or three doors away. And when we drive into our garages at night and lower those garage doors, we do not usually expect visitors. How different, how different was the Jerusalem church. They shared everything, their hearts, their lives, their possessions. They were bands of brothers and sisters. And they should be our model. Uh, when we become Christians, we are always placed in a group a solo Christian's a contradiction in terms. We're always placed in a group. I heard about a New Yorker who attended a conference in Durham, North Carolina one time. And one morning during the conference, he went to this little mom and pop diner for breakfast. He ordered uh, bacon, uh, eggs, toast, coffee. Waitress brought him his order and it had some strange white stuff there on the plate. And he called her over and said, what is that? She said, grits. He said, what is a grit? Honey, she said, they don't come by themselves. It's always grits. <laughs> now, the same ought to be said for Christians. They don't come by themselves. We sang a little bit earlier, I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. We're never solitary units. We're always supposed to be in fellowship groups. And Christ ministers to each of us as we love and serve each other. So, here's my quest. Do you have a band of brothers or sisters in Mount Horeb Church? Now, maybe it's your Sunday school class. That's good. But if pre-COVID your class averaged more than 25 in attendance, you probably need a small group in addition to the Sunday school class. And Mount Horeb offers all kinds of small groups. Yes, COVID has made many of them go online, but they're still working and still effective. Where is the group that you're a part of? Where's the band of brothers and sisters? Where's the group with whom you feel okay to laugh and to cry? Where is the group in which you could share a secret fear or temptation 
without worrying about confidentiality? Where is the group in which you could even share a financial need and not be embarrassed? Every Christian needs such a band of brothers or sisters. And every five-star church has hundreds of them. Now, let's turn to the fourth star of the Jerusalem church. It was a worshiping church. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And as we have noted, they also shared potluck supper in the evenings in their homes where they certainly praised God. And after supper, they probably almost every day had Holy Communion. So there was a whole lot of worshiping going on in the Jerusalem church all day long. To worship is to praise God. And it's for our benefit, not his. God has no ego problem. God doesn't need our praising. It benefits us. The psalmist taught us that God inhabits the praise of his people. And when we worship God, we're inviting him into our midst. The writer of Hebrews urges us to continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. So here's my challenge in regard to the fourth star. Do you regard your weekly worship time, whether it's in person or online, as an essential event. I read recently the governor of California thinks not. Thankfully, the U.S. Supreme Court overruled him. But what do you think? How essential is that weekly gathering for you? And does your daily prayer at home begin with praise? Even before you tell God all your needs and your worries and your hurts and your hopes, do you begin by thanking him for his love and mercy and grace? Do you follow the guidance of the psalmist who wrote, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. To worship God is, the, is a daily responsibility and privilege of every member of a five-star church. How faithful are you in this holy privilege? And that brings us to the final, the fifth star that the Jerusalem church had. It was a contagious church, a contagious church. Now, we know all about contagion, don't we? Because of COVID-19. That is one bad, bad infection. But that great British theologian, C.S. Lewis, referred to Christianity as the good infection, the good infection. And we are supposed to make it contagious. Though Jesus Christ is the only one who can save a person's soul, we as servants are supposed to attract people to him. And often in our fellowship, they catch the good infection. The church has no task more important than drawing people to Jesus Christ. And the, the five-star Jerusalem church did that in a great way. Verse 47 of Acts chapter 2 tells us this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why do you suppose they grew so rapidly? Well, we learn in verse 46, those Christians had glad and sincere hearts. 
That's the way to attract people to Christ. You know, a gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. And if the joy of Christ is in your heart, your faces ought to show it. Our joy in Christ should be transparent, attractive, contagious. Now, let's assess how we're doing as contagious Christians. Do you keep a list somewhere of people you know who, to the best of your knowledge, are unchurched? Maybe they're neighbors, co-workers, even relatives. Do you pray for them regularly and occasionally invite them to some church-related event? Now, right now, COVID has put some restrictions on our hospitality, but thankfully, technology can make up for some of that. And we've always got our telephones and we've got our email. God has placed within the reach of us, each of us, certain persons who may never come to know Christ except through us. I want to say that again. God has placed within the reach of each of us certain persons who may never come to know Christ except through us. What an awesome responsibility. What an awesome privilege. How contagious are you for Christ? So in summary, the five-star Jerusalem church was really a collection of hundreds of small groups all saved by Jesus Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, and called to the same ministry. Some years ago, I attended a conference at the great Willow Creek Church near Chicago. And while there, the pastor told about an experience he had that touched my heart. He said that one Wednesday evening following the worship service, four or five couples remained afterward to speak to him. And in the group was a young mother holding a newborn baby. And she asked the pastor to pray for her child. And the pastor said, sure. And he reached out and took the little girl, the little baby girl, into his arms. And he was about to ask if there was any special request he should make. And then he glanced at the child. And her, head, her little head was marred by about the most severe birth defect he had ever seen, took away his breath. Finally, he prayed for her and then gently handed her back to her mother and the group thanked him and walked away. But one man came back and he said, Pastor, I want you to know about this group. Uh, we are a Bible study group. We meet every week in different homes. Uh, the mother was told, the parents were told before this little baby was born that she would probably have some deformity. Now the doctors tell them that she probably will not live very long. But he said, I want you to know this, Pastor. We're going to take care of that family. We're really tight, and God is in the middle of our small group. And we are going to see them through this. Well, the pastor thanked him and he walked away. And that pastor stood there thinking, now this is church 
at its very best. And then he whispered a prayer. He said, Lord, thank you for letting me be part of the most redemptive, revolutionary fellowship on earth. That's what the Jerusalem church was. And that's what every church is supposed to be. And now each of us must ask, what part can I play in building a five-star church right here? Not so that we will look good, not to build up our reputation, but for the glory of the living Christ and the salvation of eternal souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Gracious and holy God, thank you for inviting even someone like me to be part of the most redemptive, revolutionary fellowship on earth. They say that no chain is stronger than its weakest link. Lord, don't let me be a weak link in this great church. Show me today some way in which I can become a stronger asset for Mount Horeb and for you. Amen. <clears throat>